Welcome back to episode two of Cards on Ice. Uh, we're back today talking about uh, comps, and we're also going to talk about the junk wax, junk slab era that a lot of uh, collectors feel like we're in right now. I'm going to start this episode off this week uh, first by saying thank you so much to everyone who reached out and provided me with some feedback and some suggestions for the pod going uh, going forward. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, I want to make this podcast something that we can all listen to and enjoy and work on together. So I really appreciate all the feedback that I got uh, on the first episode. And hopefully we can continue to make this podcast better as it goes on and as it goes forward. I've already got some guests lined up for the pod as well. So hopefully in the next handful of podcasts, you'll start to see some some other guests. And uh, we'll make this pod into a little bit more of an interview style and less of a solo cast because right now it is a solo podcast it's just me and uh, the listener which is you but I can't hear you and you can't respond so uh, it's just me ranting and rambling about this hobby that we all enjoy together Uh, so come on and join me on episode two uh, where we're going to start to talk about some junk wax So for collectors, the term junk wax uh, hits home to a lot of people. Junk wax is, it it was primarily in the 90s where card companies figured out that cards were something that was very popular and that they could just produce a lot of. You'll see it in sets like hockey, you see it in sets like baseball, uh, you see football cards. um, Primarily in hockey, it's the 90s, it's the junk wax era. You'll see rookies of Yarmer Yager, Martin Brodeur, uh, Peter Forsberg, Matt Sundin, you know, guys who are absolute legends and Hall of Famers and, you know, fantastic athletes of the game. Uh, And they just, their cards aren't worth what, you know, cards before it, so cards earlier were worth, or even some cards today that are worth uh, what they are. Um, Of course, there's lots more that goes into you know, card values and things like that. Obviously, it's interest in collectors. It's how much is produced, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on this rambling all day long about, about you know, what brings people into, into wanting to buy something. But primarily for hockey, the junk wax era is, you know, considered the 90s, right? There's a lot of, there was a lot of competition in cards. Uh, there was a lot of different sets that were coming out. Upper Deck, OPG, uh, Pro Set, um, Tops. There was a bunch of just different kind of brands. And, and cards were still kind of... People were still deciding, you know, where the rights li- lied in, in a lot of these sports. And I think that that's, that's interesting because there was a lot of competition, which is something we don't see today. And I know a lot of people think that competition is a great thing for the hobby, and it, and it can be in many markets. Uh, competition usually drives, you know, a better product. It, it drives, you know, you wanting to be ahead of your competitor. And now with these exclusive, you know, deals that Panini has with, uh, with basketball, uh, which is set to maybe end fairly soon, and then I think Fanatics is set to take over, or it's been rumored that Fanatics might eventually take over the baseball and basketball and football market. Uh, In hockey, we just have Upper Deck. So we used to have Panini Hockey up until around 2014, I believe. Uh, And then Panini was, 
you know, no longer, no longer accompany it uh, for hockey. Uh, Upper Deck has the exclusive rights for the NHL and all the players in their likeness. And uh, there's no other company that can produce officially licensed cards. That being said, we've got Leaf, uh, who makes some amazing products, and they're they're really cool stuff. Uh, but collectors usually don't tend to lean over onto Leaf products because Leaf products don't have logos on them, so they don't have any NHL logos, which a lot of collectors feels like it kind of takes away from the overall card design. Uh, when you can get a card of a you know a, a legend, a superstar, someone who you really look up to. And that card doesn't have the official, you know, NHL logo or it looks like it's been photoshopped or altered or, you know, it just doesn't have that same feel for a lot of people. I think for me personally, I've owned a few Leaf cards and I do like them, especially when the the shot of the athlete is like a, uh, you know, like a like a neck neck up, uh, neck up shot or whatever, like a like a portrait type thing. Um, I feel like these you know, pictures where you can try and eliminate kind of the jersey and the NHL look and stuff like that and put a really cool auto or a nice patch on the card. Uh, it really adds a lot to, you know, the card, right? It, they're really trying to push, you know, competition for, for upper deck. Um, and they come out with some really interesting products too. They, they have some really cool, some really cool stuff if you've never seen Leafs, Leaf products before. It's just, it doesn't have the backing that, you know, officially licensed products have, right? And, and that makes sense. You know, it's the same, it's the same thing in football. Uh, they have, you know, the, the different, um, you know, products that come in and they try and compete with Panini and Panini is the only one who can use the logos and uh, so on and so forth. So uh, let's get back to the junk wax. So in the 90s, um, there was a lot of hockey produced. Everyone had these hockey cards. They, I think they saw what Wayne Gretzky and his rookie card did. Hockey cards boomed. Baseball cards were, you know, at an all-time high with Ken Griffey Jr. coming into the league and lots of hype around him. And people just wanted to get into to sports cards more. So these, these producers of sports cards just pumped out as much ink and paper as they possibly could and put thousands and millions of whatever sports cards out there um and and now it's it's become an oversaturated market and there's something to be said about that because there's still you can still find sealed products from you know the early 1990s and even the late like later mid 1990s as well um and i mean we're what 30 years down the line 25 years down the line in some in some cases uh, so it's it's really interesting to see that, you know, how much product was pumped out and you can still, you know, find these boxes for very cheap for sealed product of, you know, 25 or 30 years ago, which is pretty incredible. Now, the reason why I want to talk about junk wax is because a lot of people are saying that, you know, the 2018, 2017 you know, 2019 years and onward up until, you know, 2023 or whatever, or maybe it goes up until 2025 or whatever is now this junk, uh, junk wax era, you know, version two. So a lot of people are saying that, you know, Panini has, has clearly realized that in the hobby, the boom, same with Upper Deck as well. We can't let them off the, you know, the, the, off the, the blame or whatever they can't be a scapegoat or whatever they can be a scapegoat i guess um 
regardless, Upper Deck Panini, they've clearly realized that in the in the the pandemic, there was a lot of interest that that surrounded around cards, right? And as a business, you want to try to you know, make your money, right? You want to try and maximize your profits. You want to try to, you know, capitalize on this, you know, new wave of found collectors, right? There was a long, long portion of time where you couldn't walk into any stores and pick up sealed product. It was always sold out. Uh, someone was, you know, picking it up and scalping it or, or whatever. Um, people were, you know, reselling a, a lot of different products and a lot of you know, things at, at, at stores where you just couldn't find sports cards at all. So clearly there was a want for it. There was a need for it. And these companies then decided to then make more cards. So here's the kicker. I saw a post on Instagram uh, last week and it compared uh, Shaquille O'Neal's rookie card uh, from the 90s to the 2019 uh, Zion Williamson rookie cards. And it was a really interesting stat because... Shaquille O'Neal back in the 90s, there were, I think, about 50 variations of his rookie card or something like that. Um, uh, it was like 50 or less, and he had no rookie autographs. Like, he had no, like, RPAs or anything like that. Like, that just didn't, it just didn't exist, okay? Uh, Zion Williamson, who is probably a comparable player. Uh, I don't know my basketball really well. Um, but I would say that he's, you know, comparable. He had quite a bit of hype in 2019 when he was coming into the league. He was an interesting player because he was, you know, such a big lad, but, you know, a, a big guy who had a lot of talent, right? And a lot of people saw Zion as a similar figure to Shaq and wanted to get into basketball cards. I, I didn't even know anything about basketball. I watch March Madness, and that's about the extent of my basketball knowledge. I only really watch college ball. I don't really care about the uh, the NBA there. And Zion Williamson cards had just, you know, they'd reached out to non-basketball fans. Like, I was, I was opening Panini Prism and Panini Mosaic and products like that, and I didn't really even watch NBA. I just knew that Zion Williamson had a lot of hype behind him, and so did John Morant and others in that class, Jordan Poole, etc., Kobe White. And these cards were highly desirable because of the amount of hype that they carried and, you know, the speculation that was going to, you know, happen with Zion. So back to my original point, Zion Williamson right now, uh, in that same graph, if I can, uh, I'll try and find it on Instagram. I'll see if I can find the account that posted it. Um, but it, it, for Shaq to have around well less than 50, 50 variations of the rookie card, Zion had something crazy. Like it was, it was absolutely wild to see. He had like three thousand variations of his card, which is, I mean, it's, it's just not, it's not even on the same level. And then his autographs, he had like a few hundred different, you know, rookie autographs or RPAs or things like that. And if you look at Again, this junk wax era, this this second coming of the junk wax era, and again, it it hasn't. There's no evidence right now that really relates it into hockey. But what's you know what's stopping it from from leaking into the hockey market as well? Not to say that it it has or it hasn't, but just to say that you know it could right this this thing. It, it may already be you know we're, we may be living in this junk wax you know era v two right where there's so much product and there's there's so much that gets pushed out that y- you know you don't know for 
the longevity of your your collectibles. You don't know, you know, what kind of value these things will will hold, or if there'll be any interest in in stuff like this, uh, just because of the amount of it that that exists, right? So I'm looking at Zion Williamson right now in the the PSA uh, pop report right now. So there is currently twenty two thousand four hundred PSA tens of Zion Williamson, and that's just his base um, Panini Prism cards. That's just his base rookie. There's a total of forty one two hundred seventy two thousand in total. So almost a little over forty one k just have his base that's been graded at PSA all the way from a one to a 10. Okay. So there's about 41 K worth of Zion Williams and just base. Well, in 2019 Panini prism Zion Williamson had uh, his rookie card. And I would say prism is probably the, you know, the leading brand or the leading set that collectors want. Zion Williamson had 41 different rookie variations in one product. He had 41 different cards that could be great, like that that are that are his rookie card, and there are different variations of it. Whether it was autographed, whether it was photo variations, whether it was different uh, card design variations, whether if it was you know fast break, which is something that that Panini does, whether if it was you know a gold, a green, a red, a hyper, a silver, an orange, a cracked ice, a you know, whatever, right? There's so many, so many variations of this card. And I find it amazing how in one different product, you could open up and have 41 different variations of a player, of the, of a single player's rookie card. And I, I love the variations. I love the parallels. I love this whole, you know, this system of, I love it in, in Panini or in uh, Upper Deck Platinum. Uh, OPG Platinum. And uh, I love, you know, I love having these different variations like the Violet Pixels, you know, the Emerald Surge, the Aquamarine, you know, completing a rainbow for a player feels very, you know, satisfying, right? Like you really want to get all these variations of a different card. But when we talk about 41 different variations, that's quite a lot you need to do to get a complete rainbow. You need to get 41 different cards, not to mention, you know, the one of one and whatever else. And I, I'm just looking at, at PSA. So who knows? There could be even more than 41 uh, different variations. These are just 41 different variations that PSA has graded at least one copy of because it's in their pop report. So it's it's really interesting to me to see that um, a card like this has so much, so much, you know, people thought that, you know, their base auto was rare until they saw that there was, you know, another 40, 45 different variations of this card, some numbered, some not, some more valuable, some not. And it's it's interesting to see because originally when the, when this card boom happened and when a lot of collectors got into the hobby, it was it was something that we you know, we were told like this, you know, through influencers, through wherever, we found out that, you know, Zion Williamson and John Morant, you know, these are the the, the NBA future, Luka Doncic and uh, we were told that, you know, these base autos, uh, if you pull them out of a pack, send them to PSA right away, you know, they're going to be worth something. They're going to be valuable, right? And then PSA got overloaded with basketball cards. They got overloaded with everything, basically. You're sending base cards. You're sending, 
you know, anything to get slabbed in a PSA holder. And now looking back on it, now that we're, you know, a few years behind this 2019, you know, rookie class, it's really interesting to see. And I, I know this is a hockey card podcast, but it's just, it's it's interesting to look at other sports, ca- other sports cards and find trends or find things that are happening to look over and then reflect on what's happening in our own little community because our hockey cards are very they're very niche like similar to the nhl and similar to you know hockey as a sport it doesn't have quite the reach that basketball or football has so it's interesting to take a look at at basketball cards and it's interesting to take a look at football cards and figure out you know what has you know what's happened in these markets and what could happen over into into hockey cards as well it's it's very it's eye-opening for me to take a look and, and see that this has happened, you know, to a to a prominent rookie player where there's a lot of hype. And clearly, you know, there was a lot of parallels and things made in, in just one product. And then when you take in other products as well, when you take in, you know, Mosaic, NBA Hoops, NBA Hoops Premium, um, you know, Select, Optic, you know, all these different, you know, variations and, you know, different versions of, of a card that a player could have. It really puts it into perspective on, you know, is my card rare or is my card sought after or is, you know, is it worth getting graded? Is it is a PSA 10 base Zion Williamson prism card, you know, really that that valuable or that desirable when there's, you know, 22,000 PSA 10s out there? You're you're one of, you know, 20, 22, 23K copies of a card. It's it's interesting to look at and it, it, you just kind of take a, you know, not to kind of, you know, super analyze, a, you know, ink and paper and cardboard and, you know, cardboard with, you know, athletes faces on it. But it's it's uh, it's interesting to look at. It's interesting to kind of uh, to kind of take a step back and figure out, you know, where where your card stand and where your collection stands, you know, in a, in a bigger scale. Um, so that was one thing that I saw really interesting this week. And it, I, if I can find the post on Instagram, I, I will, I will repost it on my Instagram or I'll try and link over to where I found it. Uh, just so you can take a look at this whole, you know, this whole process. Um, and the, the second thing to move on from, from this and, and kind of to add on, I guess, to it is that going back into, you know, you were encouraged to grade everything and whether or not you did or not, um, whether or not your cards were stuck at PSA for a year and a half or not, uh, there there was quite a backup at PSA, BGS, you know, companies like that. And now there's so many copies of this card. And a lot of people are calling this the Junk Wax Era V2 or also the the, the Junk Slabs. Um, there's so many, you know, graded cards out there, especially for basketball and for football, uh, hockey, not as much, but there's so many slabs and cheap slabs, um, cards that you can, you know, pick up for, you know, like less the cost, less of the cost than it was to actually grade the card. You could get a 10 in, in a lot of cases, which is interesting because again, hockey's not quite at that point. There's a lot of cards that still have value graded, um, there's a lot of cards where there's just not a, a big population of these cards in comparison. But it's interesting to see if, if hockey will get to this point of where you can walk in and get a, you know, 
a rookie from this past year, like say like a, you know, like an Eric Schalgren or, you know, someone like, a, you know, a Jordan Harris or, you know, maybe not the best, you know, prospects in terms of their team. But if you're a fan of, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens, you can get a, you know, a PSA 9 or a PSA 10 for, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, etc. Right. And I could see things going that way in terms of hockey. And it's interesting to see again, who knows, who knows what the future in, in, in this hobby and what's going to happen and what's, what's becoming more prominent in, in collectors and in, you know, I use like soft quote unquotes, uh, investors and things like that. So it, it's really interesting to, to see. It's it's interesting to analyze. It's interesting to take a look at other markets and and compare it to hockey cards. And then to to wrap up um, this this pod, uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about is is the word comps. And I'm I'm not going to touch on this for a while. I realize that we're we're past twenty minutes right now. And again, I want to keep these short um, when I'm podcasting with someone else, and I don't have to do the whole the whole talking or the whole load myself. Uh, I can kind of pass things off. We'll maybe make it a little bit longer. But comps are the word that people love and the word that people hate. And I, I watch a lot of, of card content on, on YouTube. And there's not a lot of hockey card uh, content creators, but those who do, I, I usually try and watch. And I usually try and keep up with what they're doing. Um, for other markets, for football and for basketball cards, I, I watch a lot of influencers and people who go to card shows and see what they're doing and try and, you, you know, mimic things or you know, bring it over to hockey cards. Um, for a video that I watched today, I won't, I won't name the content creator. They said they used to buy 80% of comps and now they're buying at 70%. And it's, it's, it's interesting because these things catch on to other people. When you create content and you say you're only going to buy at 70% of comps, then everyone else buys at 70% of comps. And, you know, when you say you're only going to buy at 50% of comps, then people then want to buy at 50% of comps. And it's interesting to see how the market shifts from a buyer and seller standpoint and, you know, who's buying, who's selling, what's the going rate, what's fair, um, you know, with taxes and with things on eBay, if you want to deal off eBay, if you want to deal on eBay, you know, or whatever, whatnot, or other, you know, pl- selling platforms, you know, to get around fees or to, at card shows, what's an acceptable offer. And it, it's really interesting, and I, I think I'm going to carry this into another episode, and I'm going to I'm going to talk about comps another time um, because there's so much I have to to rant and ramble on comps, and you know I have some funny stories I'm sure that I can tell you about, you know quote, quote unquote you know this card goes for this much or whatever, and finding that middle ground with with buyers or with sellers. Um, so I'm going to leave it here actually for episode, uh, two of the cards on ice pod. Uh, sorry, we talked about basketball cards today, but again, it's just kind of right off the, right off the dome. Uh, we'll talk about comps in a future episode and I got some funny stories to tell you about some comps.